Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. In today's brief, we'll talk about Russian saboteurs and an awful lot of Bavovna in the temporarily occupied territories. I'm Linnea, and today is Friday, September 22nd, 2023. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that since September 17th, Russian losses have included 24 tanks, 55 armored combat vehicles, or ACVs, 174 artillery systems, 9 multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, 5 anti-aircraft systems, and 2,630 personnel. If we break that down, it averages out to roughly 5 tanks, 11 ACVs, 35 artillery systems, 2 MLRS, an anti-aircraft system, and 526 personnel lost each day. During an interview on the CBS program 60 Minutes, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky emphasized the importance of continuing to make progress in the counteroffensive, regardless of the pace, saying, quote, We need to liberate our territory as much as possible and move forward. Even if it's less than half a mile, we must do it. We mustn't give Putin a break. It's a difficult situation, I will be completely honest with you. We have the initiative, this is a plus. We stopped the Russian offensive and we moved into a counteroffensive. But despite that, it's not very fast. It's important that we are moving forward every day and liberating territory. End quote. The British Ministry of Defense, or MOD, intelligence update from September 21st reported that Russia's continued military presence in Ukraine has significantly impacted their troops' morale and made high-level training a challenge, since personnel aren't able to be rotated out of the operational zone during their service, noting that, according to Russian State Duma Defense Committee Chair Andrei Karpalov, Mobilized personnel are obligated to serve for the duration of the so-called special military operation. The lack of training is highly likely contributing to Russia's inability to conduct successful complex offensive operations. In the Eastern Theater of Operations, geolocated photos were released showing Ukrainian forces in Klishchivka, south of Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast, holding up flags for the 80th Air Assault Brigade, 5th Assault Brigade, and National Police Lut Assault Brigade, as well as the Ukrainian flag, and Operational Command East spokesperson Captain Ilya Yavlash confirmed that the settlement had been liberated. The 95th Air Assault Brigade also reportedly had a role in the liberation of the area, and President Zelensky congratulated all of the brigades on their success. Geolocated footage from over the weekend shows Ukrainian forces have also captured positions east of Orekhovo-Vasilivka, northwest of Bakhmut. Captain Yevlash noted that the liberation of Klishchivka and areas north of Bakhmut enabled the development of upcoming offensive operations and the establishment of fire control over the logistics routes, 
called GLOCs, or Ground Lines of Communication, along the T-513 Bakhmut-Horlivka Highway, through which Russian forces supply their positions in Bakhmut. Yevlush also reported that battles are now ongoing near the railway track, but it is a powerful defensive position for Russian forces. The Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, assessed that Ukraine's liberation of Klishchivka and Andreevka may have degraded the Russian defense in the area south of Bakhmut, rendering as many as three Russian brigades combat ineffective. According to Ukrainian ground forces commander Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky, Ukrainian forces completely destroyed the combat capabilities of the Russian 72nd Motorized Rifle Brigade, the 31st Guards Airborne, or VDV, and the 83rd Guards VDV during the liberation, reportedly including some of Russia's best and most well-trained units. Recent redeployment of VDV from the Bakhmut area to Zaporizhia in southern Ukraine has also likely weakened Russian defenses in the area. The ISW quoted a prominent Russian mill blogger in their September 19th report who claimed that Ukrainian artillery units south of Bakhmut are increasingly accurate and precise, enabling Ukrainian forces to safely shell Russian advances closer to Ukrainian positions. The mill blogger also claimed that Ukrainian forces have advantages in aerial reconnaissance and stronger electronic warfare systems. In a video posted by members of Russia's mobilized 1st Battalion of the 1442nd Regiment of the Altai Krai, soldiers claimed that they abandoned their military equipment in the Klishchivka area after receiving orders from Russian military command to form an assault group and attack in the Bakhmut direction. The soldiers lacked artillery and prepared defenses, however, and complained of ammunition that simply didn't work. In the southern theater of operations, the British MOD reported that Russia is once again using paratroopers as light infantry to reinforce its hard-pressed 58th Army, with at least five VDV regiments drawn down from the 7th and 76th Divisions, likely now concentrated within several kilometers of the front line near Robotne in Zaporizhia Oblast. Supposedly, the VDV is an elite force, so they're probably not thrilled to be used to fill in gaps in infantry troops along an overstretched defensive line. According to Chief of Defense Intelligence of Ukraine, Kirillo Budanov, Ukrainian forces might be able to sever Russia's land corridor with Crimea before winter, since, quote, contrary to what the Russian Federation declares, it has absolutely no strategic reserve, end quote noting that the newly deployed 25th Russian Combined Arms Army has only about 80% of the personnel and 55% of the equipment it would need to be fully functional. The ISW reported that Russian losses have increased significantly in western Zaporizhia Oblast in the last few days, and Russian forces are struggling with a lack of available combat-effective units, depending heavily on combat-ineffective so-called Storm Z detachments. Ukrainian forces have been widening the breach in Russian defensive lines near Virbove and are now confirmed to be operating heavy equipment, namely Stryker and Mardar Infantry Fighting Vehicles, or IFVs, beyond the anti-vehicle ditch and Dragon's Teeth. The ISW posits they could be preparing for a new push in the Tokmak direction. In the Black Sea, the first cargo ship with Ukrainian grain, Palau-flagged Resilient Africa, left the Black Sea port of Chornomorsk loaded with 3,000 metric tons of wheat on September 19th, reaching the Turkish Bosporus Strait on Thursday, 
successfully skirting Russia's de facto blockade. The crew of a different cargo ship, Sima, had to be evacuated from an area of the Black Sea off the coast of Romania near the Ukrainian border due to an explosion. While the cause of the explosion hasn't been confirmed, the crew reported they believed the ship had hit a mine. In the temporarily occupied territories, there is an awful lot of Bavovna this week. Quick sidebar for those of you who are unfamiliar with Bavovna. When Russian media reported on an explosion in Russian-controlled areas early on in the full-scale invasion, they, for whatever reason, referred to it as chlopok, or a bang. Chlopok also means cotton, however, so Ukrainians began referring to explosions in Russia and Russian-controlled areas as cotton, or bavovna in Ukrainian. The bavovna motif is all over Ukraine, whether in bouquets of cotton in store windows, bavovna pins and patches, even tattoos. And yes, we do have bavovna merch in our shop. We'll link to it in the description. There were reports of bavovna in Sevastopol in occupied Crimea on September 17th, in the area near where Radio Electric Signals Intelligence, or Air Defense Units, are located. According to the Russian MOD, the attack was a joint operation between Ukraine's Defense Intelligence and the Ukrainian Navy. A massive explosion was reported in the administration building of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic in the Russian-occupied city of Donetsk on September 18th. Head of the Occupation Authority in Donetsk Oblast, Denis Pushilin, claimed that the Ukrainian army attacked the center of the city, allegedly damaging civilian infrastructure. No casualties were reported. Legitimate and exiled mayor of Melitopol, Ivan Fedorov, reported that multiple explosions were heard in the occupied city in Zaporizhia Oblast on the morning of September 19th, and the Department of Strategic Communications of the Commander-in-Chief of Ukraine's Armed Forces, or STRATCOM, announced that Ukrainian forces launched an attack on the Russian Occupation Administration in Melitopol. A secret Russian headquarters located in a local engine plant in Melitopol were attacked in a Ukrainian missile strike, reportedly wounding the commander of the 58th Army of the Russian Federation and their chief of staff. STRATCOM also reported a successful attack on the Russian Black Sea Fleet's communication center near Sevastopol in Crimea on September 20th, with satellite imagery showing half of the building had been destroyed. According to Ukrainian public broadcaster Suspilne, the Security Service of Ukraine, or SBU, and the Ukrainian Navy conducted an attack on Russia's Saki military airfield near Novofedorivka in Crimea on September 21st, using attack drones and domestically produced cruise missiles. According to local sources, there were at least a dozen combat aircraft, both Su-24 and Su-30, at the airfield at the time of the attack, as well as the Pantsir air defense system and a training base for operators of the Iranian-made Mujahir drones. An SBU source reported, quote, The strikes hit the targets and caused serious damage to the occupier's equipment. Drones were used to hit the enemy, which overloaded Russian air defenses, and then Neptune missiles were launched, end quote. Several waves of drone attacks were launched at occupied Crimea throughout the day on the 21st, with Bavovna also reported in Yevpatoria, Simferopol, and other settlements. According to Russian officials, 19 drones were intercepted. 
If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. On the home front, Russian missile and drone attacks killed three civilians and wounded 11 in Lviv, Dnipropetrovsk, Kherson, and Donetsk oblasts on September 18th. The attacks on Lviv hit industrial warehouses in the city, completely destroying a warehouse full of humanitarian aid. Russian forces launched a Grom E-1 hybrid missile glide bomb at Kupiansk in Kharkiv Oblast on September 19th, killing eight people, according to head of the regional police's investigative department, Serhii Bolvinov. The attack reportedly targeted volunteers helping evacuate civilians from the city. On the 20th, Russian troops shelled Toretsk and Pivnichne in Donetsk Oblast using 240mm 2S4 Tulpan mortar systems, killing four civilians, destroying several houses, and damaging outbuildings. Russia conducted yet another massive missile attack on the 21st, launching 43 air-based cruise missiles, injuring at least 21 civilians in Kyiv, Cherkasy, and Kharkiv oblasts. Remember how we mentioned in the last episode that Russia appeared to be building up reserves of air-launched cruise missiles in preparation for winter? Well, Russia's campaign against Ukraine's energy infrastructure may have started up again already, with some of the missiles striking a Rivna Oblast power facility and causing a partial blackout in the region. Speaking of blacked out, let's talk about the Russian Federation. The ISW reported that buzz around the health of Chechen warlord and Kremlin ally Ramzan Kadyrov who might be in a coma or might not or might already be dead, in the Russian info space, highlights Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin's dependence on Kadyrov for continued stability in Chechnya. The destabilization of Kadyrov's rule would be a massive blow to Putin, in large part because Putin's early popularity in Russia was tied to his establishment of so-called stability in the region, through the brutal First and Second Chechen Wars between 1994 and 2009 that effectively installed Kadyrov's father, Ahmad Kadyrov, as the head of the Russian-controlled republic. According to the Kyiv Post, Russian troops are being recruited into the ranks of Ukrainian partisan units and blowing up their comrades in sabotage operations in exchange for cash or the opportunity to live abroad. The Post cited an incident in which a Russian soldier allegedly placed 10 kilograms of explosives between two trucks at a military base in the occupied city of Khenichesk in Kherson Oblast, which were then detonated as Russian troops boarded the vehicles. Atesh, a partisan movement of Ukrainians and Crimean Tatars, reportedly orchestrated the operation. There was no word on the going rate for blowing up fellow Russian troops, but I'm sure if any Russian listening is interested— one could find out via the Atesh Telegram channel, Atesh underscore UA. Saboteurs also blew up two Russian fixed-wing aircraft and a helicopter at the Chikolovsky airbase in Moscow Oblast, according to Ukrainian intelligence. Unknown individuals planted explosives at the clearly not well-guarded-enough airbase, damaging an AN-148, an IL-20, and an MI-28H helicopter. Needless to say, Russian military command was pretty upset about it. 
In News Worldwide, Latvia announced on September 19th that it was closing one of its two border crossings with Belarus due to ongoing migrant-related issues with Minsk. The second checkpoint will reportedly remain open for freight, urgent humanitarian movement, and emergencies. In a speech at the United Nations General Assembly on the 19th, United States President Joe Biden appealed to world leaders to stand with Ukraine against Russian aggression, asserting that no nation wants to end the war more than Ukraine, saying that, quote, Russia alone bears responsibility for this war. Russia alone has the power to end this war immediately, and Russia alone stands in the way of peace, end quote emphasizing that the U.S. will continue to support Ukraine in its efforts. Ukrainian grassroots organization Razom released a new poll on September 20th that indicated 63% of respondents in the U.S. support continuing military aid for Ukraine in the coming year's federal budget. 79% of respondents agreed that, quote, Russia is committing human rights atrocities and bombing innocent civilian areas and apartment buildings, they must be stopped and made to pay for the destruction they have caused. End quote. Quick sidebar. Who are the 16% of respondents who agree with all that but don't support U.S. military aid that could, quite realistically, help stop Russia and make them pay? Finland and Poland joined the Baltic states, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, in banning the entry and use of Russian-registered passenger vehicles within their territory. And just yesterday, Norway also instituted restrictions on vehicles registered in Russia. During his visit to the UN Security Council this week, Ukrainian President Zelensky called for key reforms, saying, quote, The use of the veto is what needs reformed. Bringing back the power of the UN Charter is important. The veto should not serve as a weapon for those obsessed with hatred and war. End quote. Zelensky also stated that there is a need to create effective mechanisms for preventing illegal aggression through early response to actions violating states' territorial integrity and sovereignty. Let's talk military tech. According to French defense news site Intelligence Online, plans to deliver the French Mirage 2000 fighter plane to Ukraine are now taking shape after months of discussions. Some assessment? The Dassault Mirage 2000 is a very capable aircraft, broadly similar both in role and capabilities to the American F-16, especially in the improved Mirage 2005, which has the capability of engaging multiple targets at once. France has a number of these aircraft in storage as a reserve as they've been replaced in service by their newest fighter, the Dassault Rafale. These mirages would still be in serviceable condition, and this availability is the main advantage of the Mirage 2000 over the more modern JAS-39 Gripen, for example. With modifications, the Mirage 2000 also has the capability to conduct short landings, and wouldn't be limited to operating only from military airbases like F-16s would. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please consider supporting our work on Substack. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back on Monday with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.